Hello, my name is Declan Deneen. Welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. Each episode, a guest on the show talks about the games that have shaped their life in one way or another. Games that have inspired them, games that have forged connections, and games that have soothed wounds. My guests on today's episode are Justin Marr and Matthew Davis, aka Subset Games, the creators of... Probably one of my favourite games of the past 10 years, FTL. Uh, It's a really brilliant chat. I think more so than usual, we get really into the kind of the design process behind FTL and the kind of discussions they had that led them to make the the game that they wanted to make. And really fascinating as well, like um, inspirations that perhaps you, you, you wouldn't expect, you know, coming from a place of how do we want the player to, to feel rather than, you know, trying to make a, a genre game of, of some description it's a really brilliant chat and it's always exciting to kind of speak to multiple guests at the same time and kind of trace their their backstories together and apart at the at the same time it's, it's a really good episode it's, it's such a treat um honestly like this show I, lo- I love doing this show so much thanks to everyone for for listening um i i'm saying i'm getting reflective because i'm approaching episode uh, 100 of the of the podcast and i've kind of I have I've recorded episode 100. It's it's ready to go. It's a very exciting guest, um, and I'm just kind of thinking about all the amazing people I've spoken to, and it's honestly it's such a treat. So thanks as always for for downloading and listening to the show. If you haven't already, please do subscribe, uh, rate and review it. All that good stuff. It really helps kind of grow the the audience of the show and help new people discover it. Um, especially with episode 100 coming up, I could uh, it would be wonderful to have like a bit of a a boost of awareness and stuff so i mean hopefully the the guests will will do that but uh we shall see it's very exciting though um as always if you want to get in touch with the show if you have any suggestions any feedback i'm always happy to hear it it's checkpointspodcast at gmail.com or it's at checkpoint show on twitter or it's checkpoints podcast on facebook it's very important to have consistent branding uh, also, if you have the, the money and the inclination, there's a Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash checkpoints. Um, all donations, very gratefully received, got back into the making of the show as good as it possibly can be. Uh, and again, you know, with uh, 100 episodes coming up, um, if, if you've enjoyed the show, if you've listened to quite a lot of them, you know, please do chuck in a few quid, maybe just for a month or so, just to, to say thanks. It's very much uh, appreciated. Um, I, I should mention that there's a there's an event. I mean, again, this is I, I always recommend things that are super local, but you know, whatever. Maybe you're local. Uh, there's an event in uh, Dundee called Arcadia, and there's tickets available. Lots of brilliant speakers are going to be along. Um, I didn't think I'd be able to go, but it turns out I can, so I'm very excited about that. And it's it's kind of fun because I get to meet um, people that I've interviewed on the show that I've never actually met, kind of IRL, uh, which is always a treat. So I'm really looking forward to that. And if you, if you're in the area and you fancy that if you you know involved in development anyway i imagine it'll be a a brilliant day uh, and also there's like a big warehouse full of arcades at the end of the day by the the we throw switches guys which is always a treat okay i think that'll that'll do for an intro i think um thanks as always for downloading the show uh, i'll be back next week with a new episode and a new guest but until then let's get on with the show
best four years in the country's history i'll be honest but um <laughs> you know it's been an interesting four it's years it's been in interesting the exactly there hasn't it exactly yeah. um okay well let's uh let's do formal introductions to start the show so first off welcome to both of you thanks so much for for coming on um i can ask you both to introduce yourself if that's okay so we'll start with justin hi i'm justin ma uh, half of subset games we made ftl and are now working on into the breach i do primarily the art and we split the design how about you matt and I'm Matthew Davis. Um, I'm the other half of Subset Games, and I do all the programming. And as Justin said, share the design. Cool. Um, I'm so excited about Into the Breach. Um, like, I just watched the trailer again earlier today because I knew we, we were chatting. Um, it's, it's, it is just, like, really fancy Advance Wars, right? I mean, I, I'm not, I don't mean to dismiss it, but it's just that I've been, I've been sort of <laughs> longing for a really good Advance Wars-style game, and there's just... I'm surprised there hasn't been more, so I'm very excited for it. Uh, definitely atmosphere-wise and, and sort of tone, I could um, see lots of parallels, but the actual uh, playing of the game ends up being quite different because Advance Wars is more like trying to emulate chess with two sides that are working, you know, yeah. who can do it better, whereas this is much more asymmetrical and uh, more single-player focused. Is it like how far along are you? I mean, you don't have to answer this, obviously, if you don't want to. But like, is it um, is it an enjoyable process? Are you hitting any roadblocks? Are you just kind of plugging away at it? It's been a um, very long and difficult process. Um, we've been on the project for nearly three years now, but we are in a good place at this point. We're quite far along at this point. Um, the most of the process has been just kind of solidifying those that core rule set and how the how the actual core combat played out. Um, and just doing that design and making it absolutely rock solid took a long time. Um, but at this point, we're, we feel really good about that. We're just kind of pushing on content and all the stuff that builds up around the, that core yeah. game. And like, is it still just the, the two-year? Like, I, I assume, you know, what with the success of FTL, you could probably afford uh, some extra helping hands. I know there's a composer on board. Yeah, it's it's never completely fair to say we're a two-man studio. We're we're primarily on a full-time, everyday working on the game, two people. But we we definitely um, have just like with FTL, we we bring on other people to fill in gaps and, and skills that we don't have. Um, we do Ben Ponty is doing the music again, like he did with FTL. Um, we've had a, we have a power-up audio doing all the sound effects because that's a, again a talent that neither Justin nor I have, <laughs> and. Um, Chris Avalone, a very talented writer that, that most people probably know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're lucky enough to have him helping out with um, the world building and some and some more of the writing in the game. There is less writing than FTL, so it's not as big a, not as gargantuan a task as it was yeah. with FTL. But it, there's still, you know, it's it's important to set the tone right for the game. Um, we've got artists. We've we <laughs> we've worked with a couple now. Um, and you know, they come and go as, as, as and, and, and fill the gaps that, that we don't really um, have the skills for. And, uh, of course, Isla. Oh, and, of course, Isla, who does the, uh, who, who, who manages most of the emails and QA testing and, and things that um, also get in the way of game development. Absolutely. And, and always provides that helpful extra um, sandy check whenever there's something new for the game. All that annoying business side of the business. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so is it still because i know that the two of you you met in uh shanghai right is that you you working for 2k were you both there in shanghai is that the first time you'd met yep uh we were both in shanghai uh 
we were working next to each other on a, a, a Wii game. So it's uh, literally just by chance that you ended up sat next to each other and then had similar interests yeah. and decided, let's go off and start our own studio and make our own video game. I think it started where we just hung out and played a lot of board games together. And then when we both wanted to leave Shanghai, basically, we um, and leave 2K, we decided to just work on a small project for fun ourselves. And that ended up becoming FTO. Do you think so we it didn't would... really start being like let's form a studio together it, it was never that so much no we, we were friends for a couple of years through 2k um before we even really discussed making a game together but do you think it would have been if you had been sat next to a different person it would have been different <laughs> would, would you have both oh, of course off it, to it was different it, studios? it was pure random chance that we that we were both at that studio i think i love that it's brilliant literal proximity wasn't probably important um he might have been three desks down and it would have been okay but working on the similar projects um a, as well as being in the same studio definitely was was important yeah the, there were only a couple foreigners in the large shanghai studio so it's pretty easy to know each other yeah, but, no, um, it, it's interesting. I, I spoke to um, the oh, the Overcooked Games. What are their names? Phil. Um, you know Overcooked? I um, love Overcooked. I'm sorry to say I don't know the, the names of the characters. Ollie and Phil. The, that's who it is, Ollie and Phil. But they, they had a very similar story. They were both working together at... Oh, I'm going to get this wrong. But I'm going to say Kuju. Um, and it's just hmm. by chance that they both happened to they both had kind of similar ideas of the type of games they wanted to do. And I always find it interesting that you know eight of these bigger studios, how certain people will sort of glom onto each other, and that'll be the spark that sort of gives them both the kind of the kick to actually go off and do it. It's uh, it's amazing. Yeah, what I think is funny with Justin and I is not only did we definitely share some ideas about what we like in games, but we also discovered some board games simultaneously playing together. And so we were discovering mechanics and ideas through games at the same time that then we directly applied to FTL immediately after. Um, and so there was a certain simultaneous discovery to it that probably helped out a lot. Yeah. In addition, I think besides the luck of just finding each other, someone to work with, I think we are very lucky that we personality-wise mesh more than a lot of indie teams that I talk to. Although, you know, it is... A relation with a small team like this, it's basically the same as a marriage. You have to like figure yeah. out like specific differences in people and the way they work and work through problems. And there has been a lot of adapting over time. But just the way that we can work together so clearly and have share a common vision and stuff, I'm very grateful for and is pure luck as far as I could tell. <laughs> It's, yeah, always, it's funny how often when we try to explain a design idea or anything about the games we're working on to other people, how much it, it just never, we fail miserably at, at doing it. But we we never hit a hurdle with understanding one another when it comes to um, design discussions and the like. You've There's got always, like this shorthand between the two of you, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, and we it, could see the same like information input and come to the same output, not necessarily, you know, conclusion, yeah. or at least see the next couple same steps so we very minimally have to describe things we just describe the set the setup of the idea and then you can just assume the other person will figure out where you're going that that's it's really <laughs> it's really interesting because like one of the when i started this show like one of the reasons i have so many kind of smaller developers on the show or independent developers is because like i was really interested in kind of tracing that line between the games that people loved and the games they ultimately went on to make and with smaller teams it's just it's easier to see that 
the sort of the hand of the author, so to speak. Um, and it's just really interesting that the two of you, because you were working together in a studio and you played board games together, you're kind of you both kind of discovered similar games at similar times, which then led you to create the games you went on to create. I'm sure it's not that direct, but it's just, I, I like that kind of, uh, the structure of it, I suppose. <laughs> it's an easy thing, story. Yeah. One thing we haven't mentioned on that line that I appreciate is we do have different tastes in video games. Very often they overlap, but the games that we end up making, although we only have two examples, it's, I can see a very clear, like, this is the opinion of a good game of two people that has merged into one. Like, there's a lot of, like, with Into the Breach early on, I was like, I really want to make a game that has some sort of ogre battle elements. I mean, most of that didn't make the cut, but that whole, whole like, direction, me pushing one way and Matt pushing from another, and then finding some sort of middle ground to make a game that neither one of us could have come up by ourselves yeah, I think is one of the most interesting elements. Especially with Into the Breach. This one has been, we've come at it from completely different sides. I don't think that if you asked us the games that influenced us, influenced us in this project, we would even share like a single game in yeah, overlapping yeah, ones we've mentioned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for me, it'd be like Final Fantasy Tactics and Advance Wars and Ogre Battle and stuff. And, and I know that those games didn't really interest you, Matt. <laughs> Yes, and they're not really on my repertoire of things I pull back on. So well, it's this been is, interesting. I'm I'm very excited about this thing because we're going to go back and we're going to uh, trace your video game paths. So uh, we'll start with start with you, Justin. Um, if you can remember, huh? what was your very first experience of a video game? Um, I can't remember if this is the first, but the first that I remember was when my father was working at Activision, uh, and he. I remember being picked up to play a Pitfall arcade machine, like the Atari Pitfall. Um, I have that as a relatively strong memory. Also, the arcade machine of the Star Wars game with all the vector mm-hmm. graphics. I, I effing love that game. Anyways, but that that's also a very early memory as far as I can tell. That's a very popular kind of pull, that one, because I think it was such a an evocative thing, This all the beautiful vector lines and the big oh, cabinet yeah. and stuff. It's amazing. Um, it's I just, still gorgeous now. <laughs> oh, even, yeah, even they. I, I just realized, Justin, you're, you're the first second-generation um, developer we've had on the show, which is very exciting. Um, so w- what did your dad do at, at Activision? Um, well, my father's been and still is in video games, but he's primarily operations side, so managing companies and hiring and, ah, okay, okay. and organizing the business and distribution and manufacturing and all that sort of side. He knows nothing about video games it's amazing (laughs) he's been working in video games for like 30 years and the actual playing of video games is just so foreign to him but did that mean you grew up around a lot of cool swag like yeah uh, you say he may not know he may not know as much about like the development side of it but he would you know more than most parents i'd say would at least understand what games are and what they're for and all that Oh, absolutely. But, you know, much to my mother's chagrin, he would bring back, like, you know, dev kit versions of N64 playing Japanese Mario 64. Or I remember playing early builds of uh, Mortal Kombat. Um, so it was just like a complete debug garbage mess. And Turok, because and, he was at Acclaim for a while. Okay. Um you're, you're, yeah, so, you're like that kid in school that always lies about, you know, oh, my dad works for Nintendo or something. But it's actually <laughs> true. 
Like that must have been so exciting. Like, was it? Would it have been kind of almost blasé to you because that's what your dad did, or were you still like, oh my god, this is amazing? No, I was very much um, drinking the Kool Aid. Although, uh, I do think one thing it did was demystify the fact that games are made by people because I would go to a studio and see QA testers and and talk with them and and stuff like that so it didn't feel as foreign to me other than yeah. although you know the Japanese side just felt like you know mystery space but um but I do think that definitely made the possibility of working in the games industry does not seem impossible when I was younger yeah I mean that's still super rare I think for a lot of people this idea that you know, this I mean much much less so now with the internet and stuff obviously but um, yeah. Certainly, growing but up for me, there were, were magic yeah. things that were made in Japan, basically. Yeah, it's um, just things you see screenshots in a magazine, and then you buy in the store. Exactly. So I, I had never been into a game studio before I walked into Two K China. Just... <laughs> well, well, let's let's go uh, to you then, Matthew. What what was your first experience of a of a game? That's a hard question because, as far as my earliest memories, I don't remember a time not playing them. But um, I, I think one of the earliest I could think of was probably Full Throttle the LucasArts okay. um, adventure game. I, re- I remember faking sick in school to get out and go home and play full throttle. <laughs> um, and that's the, one of the earliest I could possibly guess on on what would have been a... Um, that's a relatively of, of sophisticated games. game. Like, how old would you have been? I think I was third grade. I've also got a terrible memory, so that could be <laughs> okay. part of why I don't have earlier polls. <laughs> but did you did you grow up like with games? Were they kind of part of your life, or was it just kind of? Yeah, I grew up with games. I was lucky enough um, that we had a computer um, in my house very early on, um, and so I, I do. I think we also had like back when floppy disks were actually floppy, um, and there were like the the monitor was purely is green scale there were some really crappy games on that though i don't remember mm. any of them i remember there being really bad games on that um but then once we had a proper dos computer with with full throttle and LucasArts adventure games and the original x-wing games and the original mech warrior games and was that um, like a, a family thing or was it just was that kind of your primary interest and everyone else were like oh well he seems to like those that's fine <laughs> my dad actually got really into um like the x-wing fighter um games as well as the MechWarrior games he liked the, those simulation games yeah he's never played a game since and <laughs> never played it before he doesn't I, I can't get him to play anything else now but he really enjoyed um those games at the time so that was definitely part of it um and my my older brother was always in the games when we were growing up so we'd play them together and he'd find games to play and, and that was definitely part of it as well and did did you have any idea like of you know that that they were games that they were things that were made by people i think usually people who had computers have a better idea of it because it's easier to see kind of behind the scenes so to speak sure there was i had no understanding of it but it wasn't something i gave much thought and i didn't really consider it as a career very early on as something that you would actually grow up and do yeah it was just a, it was just something i was really really enjoyed engaging in is there like from these kind of early memories we'll, we'll stick with you for a second matthew like are there any games that really kind of stand out for you as you were growing up as being like important for whatever reason um those those x-wing and mech warrior games were important the the simulation and the complexity of the systems that they presented was always something that i enjoyed and i miss that they don't make really they I mean, you can't buy a proper mech warrior game still no. in, in it's been 20 years or something i'm surprised um, that seems ripe for a, a reboot it does well they keep making they they made they made hawken and the and the mechwarrior online one which oh, is more course, multiplayer yeah. focused 
and is quite complex still, but it, it, it doesn't have the, the single player campaign with the, you know, I haven't played that much. Maybe it's got better than it was and maybe it's great because I only played it for maybe 10 minutes. <laughs> um, but uh, so maybe I'm being completely unfair. But to my memory, it wasn't what I I enjoyed as a kid, and so it didn't really click that itch for me from from the beginning. And it, but because you had the computer, though, like I'm assuming you would have been like aware of consoles and stuff as well. But did that computer yes. kind of spoil you the idea that you had these much more advanced, essentially, simulations compared to what you'd have on a console? Yeah, it is easier to point. I'm mostly when I think of the early days, and then besides those, it's stuff like um, the original CRPGs, things like Fallout and Baldur's Gate and Planescape. Um, as well as the early Blizzard stuff, like the original Warcraft, Warcraft 2, um, and Diablo 1 were all the early, the big ones for me. I did have a Super Nintendo, and it was very important, but it didn't, it doesn't quite hold the same place as those early PC games were for me. How about you, uh, Justin? Like, uh, from your kind of like youth, were there any games that really kind of stand out for you in your, in your memory as being important in your education and love of games? Man, yeah, so many, but, uh, I guess, you know, like the original Legend of Zelda and Mario 64 and Final Fantasy 2 or 4, whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> Were they a big part of your childhood? Was that like your your kind of main thing, like I'm into games, or was it just kind of a background noise similar to everything else? I suppose it's hard to escape it when your dad's bringing home like debug copies <laughs> of games and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't that common to get that kind of stuff. But honestly, yeah, I, I moved to New York, uh, outside New York when I was young, and I never fit in with that culture. So basically, my brother and I escaped to video games pretty much my entire childhood. So yeah, they were incredibly important to my in my development years. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, well, so, so uh, I'll stick with you for the second, Justin, then. Because you're growing up in this kind of household, and you said you, know, you, you got to see like behind the scenes like when did you first start thinking oh, i'd like to make games was it a specific game or a specific event or uh early on i sort of as- assumed that like my brother and i would go into like uh games um journalism and stuff just because that was what you were exposed to the most reading nintendo power and whatever else um i suppose that'd be a big thing as well if you're both kind of not hiding away but you know uh, living with games and loving yeah. them that's before the internet magazines that was the wider community that was kind of the your your window yeah. into the world you know it seemed to be a dream to be like to play video games oh um, the greatest as a job but uh the i guess officially i started seriously considering it when i was in college and then i was talking to uh some people in studios and they would say their background as being in you know, they started as a lawyer, they started as an architect. Of course, this was prior to there being game development courses in yeah. schools. And so, no, everyone said, undergraduate doesn't matter, just do whatever you want. So I just, you know, went through college with the assumption that I would try and get into the video game industry. Although I honestly had no idea what angle I would get into. It was, uh, I thought I'd be an artist at first because I had a little bit of an art background. But um, as I got to actually... You know, I'm making my own tiny games and doing little stuff and uh, and actually trying to apply it again to the industry. It was very clear that my strong suit is design uh, more than anything else. And was that just through kind of 
uh, feedback or just through iterations? And you're like, okay, no, I, I'm, I'm good at this. Like, how, how would you know, I suppose, that that was the, the route you wanted to go? Um, it became clear in, in hindsight because I would look back at what I was doing and, and clearly what I was most interested in when I was making these flash prototypes or whatever is just is the high level design and concept uh, stuff as well. And the art was just a, something I felt I could do in a studio. And But once I was applying for the work at 2K and I, I didn't actually get in, uh, wasn't accepted at first, primarily because I was selling myself as like a jack of all trades because I can do a little bit of everything. Yeah. But that worked to my benefit later when they needed someone who was a jack of all trades doing everything. Um, but they and the lead designer at the studio w were uh, pretty quick to see my uh, creative as creative side for design and they started throwing me on some like concept projects and stuff and so then it was it was very clear that i should stay in design and not do art stuff but your jack of all trades skills have come in quite handy for small team independent <laughs> development yes it seems totally <laughs> ripe for making a game with very minimal people how about yeah. you uh, matthew like how was was there a specific game or moment when you're like oh, i want to i want to do games i want to make games um I, like Justin, I probably didn't really decide on it as a career until sometime in uni. Um, I went to school um, to get a computer science degree. I went into programming because programming interested me. But it was more of a responsibility of I'm going to do a proper degree, not with a they can get me a job. And I was being boring and I didn't really follow a passion so much yeah. as something that you're supposed to do. Um, and I did love programming, but it really wasn't enough to sustain me and that's why i ended up pursuing games because it was something i actually cared a lot about and so programming has always kind of been a means to an end which is the end being games now so when so when you're when you're in university though like what i guess that like you, you get a chance to kind of reinvent yourself a bit but if you both kind of turned to games in university i guess you you wouldn't have done that were you just kind of all in on games in, in university uh, no i i was quite focused on my degree and with programming and it was the skills I picked up with that and then once I picked them up on what can I do with this um, that I ended up in games. So you didn't really play um, a lot like, of games? I, I played games like crazy but didn't approach them from a perspective of I want to make these as a career. Okay, okay. Um, and then I came at it and I came at it from a design perspective even later because it, originally it was a it was a programming thing. This is a way I can be a programmer and it's fun to make games. And so I get to have fun while applying my trade. Um, but it was over time that I discovered that, that how much fun the design side could be and an interest in the design side. And I kind of came through it in the programming in a way and that programming is a, um, is a, is a very rule-based, logic-based system that you're kind of creating these interconnected systems and, it, and it, there are parallels to game design. Oh, yeah. The, the, prog the programming part of my brain is the same part, really, that, that engages with the design part and it all kind of mixes together quite well and I really enjoy it for that reason. What were you, what were you playing in university? I guess both of you can answer this. Like, were there... Like, were they, did you find your people, I guess? Because I've spoken to a lot of people who've actually gone and done computer science degrees specifically, and I was quite surprised that there, there didn't seem to be a lot of people playing games. Like, they were one of the outliers, the people I've spoken to, which I always find you, weird. You know, I meet an amazing amount of programmers, even in the game industry, that um, 
don't play that many games and they're really just passionate about technology, which is also awesome because technology is spectacular sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. But it's, it doesn't seem, you do kind of picture a comp degree being full of people playing games. Yeah. But it is an amazing amount that they have an interest in it, but it's not necessarily like what they're passionate about. Um, just like any other degree, you know, not, not everyone's the same everywhere absolutely. you go. But did you, did you find people to play with? I did, though I've always been, and from a computer game standpoint, I've always been kind of a more single-player kind of guy. Um, I, I didn't haven't really engaged that much with playing um, digital games with other people. I discovered or rediscovered board games in college. Okay. Um, you know, the board games outside of the Monopoly, guess who, clump, but like um, the, the more complex sort. And and so I engaged with those in college a lot, but I didn't really do a lot of um, digital gaming outside of, you know, in the dorms, everyone was playing World of Warcraft and the like, but yeah. nothing that really stands out. How about you, Justin? Um, yeah, in university, there were, I didn't know many people playing video games basically at all, even in high school and stuff. Uh, I was generally the person who played the most video games of anyone I knew by far. <laughs> um, during... University, I played a lot of PC games and had a GameCube and stuff. So playing Mario Kart with like, you know, roommates and stuff like that. I also spent a lot of time discovering old games during that time. It was actually in university that I first played like XCOM, for example, and that made a huge impact in like uh, System Shock 2. I I was behind on the computer stuff. We we had access to a computer always, but it was years behind um, generally and not very uh, high quality. So I generally would go through the PC stuff like years after it came out. But uh, yeah, like System Shock 2 and stuff during that time was pretty strong. Although I think most the most games that we'd play would be on like PS2 during that time, playing like Katamari Damacy on like a projector or Res or something. I have a party and I would just put somebody on Res and then that would just be the music on on a projector. That sounds amazing. You're saying you, you know, I didn't really know that many people playing games, but that's that sounds amazing. <laughs> You're playing Katamari on a projector, and I it's just yeah, two I mean, of you I, in the I room. Forced people then, around me to play fine. video games. <laughs> I basically forced people around me to play video games. Is is how it worked. You but, really yeah. can't deny the allure of a, a projected version of Res. Like, how can oh, you no, not fall yeah. in love with that? No, yeah, I loved Res so much, but. Yeah, you know, like that's when the Wii came out. So everyone playing Wii bowling together or whatever. I had uh, my uh, my then girlfriend. You know, she didn't play much video games at all, but she I got her into Katamari, and then we started playing Rock Band with uh, plus our roommate. Literally every day for like an hour, we'd play Rock Band. Um, that was a very good memory. Oh man, Rock Band I think is probably one of my most played games ever as well. It's a uh probably easily one of my top five games even though is it really a game but it is it's amazing <laughs> it's amazing um how about you matthew like did you uh, like pursue game like i'm guessing like, like th- there weren't these kind of big social scenes like you're saying everyone was playing like world of warcraft were you not really that interested in those or were you just kind of seeing that as oh that's kind of everyone's doing that I, that's I, boring <laughs> no i i put many hours in world of warcraft in my first couple of years of college um, other people in my in the dorms and 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 the house I lived in afterwards, um, it was definitely a constant presence that I did engage with. Um, but it, it would be hard to point it as a formative part of my gaming um, life as much as just something that I spent a lot of time doing. 
<laughs> yeah. I, I I can't say that I consciously look back on World of Warcraft with a for, from to pull from influence, even though it was something that I thoroughly enjoyed at the time. Um, and I knew people. I just I didn't pursue game clubs or or find games outside of my immediate friends and immediate roommates and the like. So you weren't um, like an evangelist about like you know in no, that way, especially I, around that time. <laughs> games kind of there were games you could point to, like Res, for instance. Be like, look at this. Games are like this now. They're amazing. Take them seriously. Yeah, you know, I've never really had that um, drive. I, I've always liked games and haven't really felt the need to convince other people to like games. I've been content just enjoying them on my own. Um, that look at this, this is real, isn't something that I've, I've really ever been motivated to point at. I've, I've been happy enough with it myself, and that was enough. Yeah, and it does seem to have happened completely naturally. Like, I, I genuinely now don't, can't think of anyone I know that doesn't play some sort of game. Even if it's just like a Facebook game or a mobile game or something, everyone I know plays yeah, games. For sure, in today's world, absolutely everyone. Even if they don't, they, they would they wouldn't call it a game. Yeah, but exactly. They're, they're playing a game. Yeah. So, did you both go to two K like pretty much straight out of uni? Um, I did. I, it was yeah. It was my first job straight out of uni. I, and I and it was in China, jobs. right? How how did how did that come about? Was that just an opening? I went to GDC, which has a jobs fair for college students, okay. and I went to all the different booths with all the other fresh graduates handing out my resume, and probably most of them going into a large stack of resumes, um, never to be heard from again. But the 2K um, booth, which was massive and had like 15 HR people working at it, um, one of the people there told me that they were looking for programmers in China, um, and if I was willing to move to China, then they'd be more likely to call me back. And so when I wrote down my name on the list, which was six pages deep again, I wrote China next to my name, and I didn't see anybody else had done that. Um, I don't know how many people actually ended up applying for that position, but I know they contacted me within the week, and I had the job within two. Man, was that exciting? Like, Yeah, yeah. I had no interest in... I mean, I, I was open to moving abroad when I got it. Um, I had applied all over the world. I had not any specific interest in China. China was just the guys that happened to give me the job, and I was thrilled to, to get it. And I was excited to go not only make games, but also get to do it somewhere cool. Was it a bit of a, I mean, it must have been a bit of a culture shock. Um, so, like, because you wouldn't have necessarily known anyone else, right, at the time? Um, there was a, a layer of culture shock, of course. Um, but it's, it's, you can't underestimate just how modern and big a um, city Shanghai is, where it's not that weird to live there as a foreigner it's not like you're being tossed into the deep end on it there's plenty of english you can, yeah. you can survive without speaking chinese um and there's a, a vibrant foreign community um with other expats to, to, for for ease of socialization in the beginning yeah now there's now like two million expats in shanghai it's bigger than Are most there? american cities wow. yeah that's crazy like my, my only experience of china was uh, i visited hong kong a friend of mine got a job in hong kong for a few years so i visited them and that like that didn't feel that much of a a shock because but also because like hong kong used to be kind of a british colony so a lot of like the street signs are the same and stuff even if you can't read them you know what they mean you know <laughs> um, so it's yeah. very very odd um so, so how about you justin like did you go how long until you went over to to china um i was waiting for my girlfriend to graduate she was a year younger than i um also in boston and so I worked at a graphic design studio in Boston for a year, and then we just up and moved to China without jobs. Uh, and you it moved took without me... jobs. 
Yeah. That's insane. We couldn't. It was hard finding jobs in the U.S., so we just said, let's go go chill in, in Shanghai. If our visa runs out and we don't have a job, then we just come back. You must have thought. Uh, you must have thought. Your brother was, was there at the time, though, right, Justin? It's not as drastic as it sounds. Yeah. Right, like okay. my, I studied Chinese. I'm, I had studied abroad in Shanghai. My brother was in Shanghai at the time. Um, okay, so my that's fine. That sounds totally reasonable. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, so I need it, a job. I'm going to China. I'll figure it out. I, I saved up, uh, you know, a couple of thousand dollars from that one uh, job, and you will be surprised at how far money goes in China. <laughs> we could have, like, one year of work savings in the U.S. Uh, could have lived off of that for like, if by myself, like four years in Shanghai, if I was being frugal. Um, but yeah, so it took I don't know, maybe six months or something before. I got that 2K job, and like going to to, to work in in a big studio. I think one of the one of the things I found most interesting on my visit to Hong Kong was how many arcades there were. Like it, like I I didn't expect it to be to feel as much like Japan as as I thought. Do you know what I mean? Like I'd always associate going to Japan and they still have arcades everywhere, and in Hong Kong there was just so many arcades. Like, did you? Like, was there anything like noticeably jarring or interesting about the kind of video game scene in China while you were there, or were you kind of just in this kind of expat bubble? That that would be a huge uh, a huge topic that we can go towards the China gaming scene. But yeah, like studying abroad in China, especially when I was like, interacting with more Chinese people our age, uh, they grew up without the concept of legitimate games they grew up entirely in the gray market so it was literally impossible to buy a actual nes for example so there was just the black market is just so prevalent for absolutely everything people yeah. didn't own computers generally so net cafes is generally where people would go play video games yeah play you know um and but that of course has been gradually shifting as as uh, the country has become more, you know, more rich and people have get more access to things and it's more of a status symbol to own original copies of things. Yeah. So the people our age and the people working in 2K, their path towards video games is significantly different, very, very different experiences and everything. A lot of the games may cross over, but I feel like they came at it from a very different angle. It's like funny when... In my experience in 2K China, um, most of the, the co-workers I interacted with uh, didn't really play that many video games. Yeah, but what okay. they did they did introduce me to and they did play a lot of was board games. Um, and they they showed me to this hole-in-the-wall board game shop in, in Shanghai. that um, It was basically just in a guy's apartment up in a high-rise with no other way of finding it other than if someone showed you. Yeah. And... And it had all the Western games, and it had it was importing them at exorbitant prices. But um, they'd let you play them in the shop, or they had the Chinese translations that my um, coworkers mostly relied on. But they really kind of let me get back into board games through that because they helped me discover that whole scene that existed, which was um, not at expected when I left. Yeah, Zhongshan. That's amazing. And so, th is that how the the two of you initially kind of bonded then over over board games? That's how I started building a board game collection in China was through those shops. Um, and then that's definitely something that Justin and I tapped into in the end. Had, you hadn't mentioned board games before, Justin. Had you grown up playing a lot of board games or was this kind of a relatively new thing for you? 
like I said, I didn't know that many people who played games in general. So I I had not played a board game like an actual interesting modern cool board game since uh, before going to China. I grew up buying like every D every uh, Dungeons and Dragons book and like reading through everything and making classes and making spells, but literally never playing it. Oh, um, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> to I mean, be like, fair, that is the most fun part. I've, I've always enjoyed that part more than the actual playing. I, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. 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 Agreed. Yeah. And nowadays I just buy board, uh, like uh, role-playing game books, and I just read them for the design. <laughs> um, Weirdly, you're, yeah. you're also not the first person to have done that. A couple of the guests on the show have, have talked about just getting all the books and reading everything, but never actually playing at all. Yeah. Uh, it's just well, so interesting. Rules <laughs> are fun. There's nothing better than to, to sitting down and opening up a board game or an RPG book and, and just having a fresh set of rules to go through. I, I, I love that feeling. Plus, uh, you get to build your own expectations Expectations about the way the game will play out, and then yeah. I, I really enjoy when you have very concrete perceptions of the of the way the game will work based on the rules, and then you just get totally blindsided by the actual subtleties and stuff like that. I feel like uh, Battlestar Galactica was like that for me. Like the rules are one thing, and the actual interaction is so different. Hey, so yeah, it's hey, amazing so. how often you read the rules and think this is going to be really dull. And then you sit down to play it and it, it comes alive in a completely different manner, which is the problem with game design in general. You sit down and you think you've got this great idea and you make it and you play it and it's terrible. Um, and <laughs> rules, rules are fascinating and inspirational and fun, but it's also funny how much they can be so hard to read in terms of actually predicting the gameplay. Yeah, yeah. And in with Battlestar Galactica, um, I, Justin can answer as well. From my perspective, I think the rules are quite, they're overly complex and quite dry. They seem they 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 feel bloated and um, there's too many mechanics and it happens even while you're playing that you run across like you have to look up numbers far more often than you should when you're playing a game. But the social element and the core design that runs through it works so brilliantly that it kind of transcends the the rule set. Um, but Justin, you actually said it, so maybe your answer would be more coherent. Um, in terms of how it uh, it was unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think it, it was stuff like the voting, specifically, where that feels like a completely unimportant part of the game, where, you, you know, if you don't know the Battlestar Galactica board game, there's people who are, you know, secret bad guys. You may find out that you're a secret bad guy halfway through the game, so you have okay. to play the first part very cautiously. And uh, you also have all these different, like, events, like an FTL, like some random event happens, and you collectively have to vote on it. And there's a lot of, I mean, like people may disagree, but at least the way we played with our group, it surprised me how much subtlety and interesting interactions happens during this voting phase. Um, it's a closed ballot in the sense that you vote by playing cards face down. Yeah. So if you're betraying the group, they don't know, um, as well as some extra random cards thrown in to just really kind of shake things up. And um, it does create a, an amazing amount of tension and discussion and it's, <laughs> Yeah, from the rule set, it feels like the space battles and the managing the ship stations and yeah. all that would be the interesting part. And that is frankly the most dry and the most rote. It's just like, yes, this is what you do in this situation. Whereas some of the other stuff, which seems very boring, ended up being the most interesting. And was that like your, your main kind of way of kind of bonding through games? Was it board games or did you play any sort of video games together as well? We would play games 
uh, during lunch breaks at 2K and the like, but I think our primary um, social relationship would have been through board games. Justin, Although the, those StarCraft 2 days... Uh, those were good, back, yeah. Those were good days, yeah. Was that like the Office game? Yeah. To, well, for us at least. The Office game may have been Dota, like the original Dota, okay. <laughs> which we did not partake in at all. Um, but... There was a big old League of Legends group, which I would play with, um, and you generally weren't interested in. Yeah. Like, just this is like during the beta days of League of Legends. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, other than that, we would play StarCraft primarily. I would play Splunky during work all day. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but other than that, yeah. Mostly mostly StarCraft for us. In a, like, competitively or, or cooperatively? Cooperatively, because we when sitting right next to each other, it was it was really easy to do two v two, um, laddering where we'd have the advantage of just being right there, um, and it was a lot of fun to play that. That's play amazing. Like that. And like, just going back to the board games briefly, like you, you mentioned, this kind of you know betrayal system and stuff and the tension and about stuff. Have either of you ever fallen out over over a game? Has anything ever got you know, particularly we testy? We haven't. But I don't remember. Justin can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, we've had arguments with other members that we've played with but i don't think justin and i have ever really come to head um you both seem to be very justin, respectful of the rules the rule set so yeah that's true it's, and that probably helps a lot and there is nothing that will drive me to get annoyed faster than somebody who isn't taking the rule seriously <laughs> I, I i can be a rule nazi when it comes to that um but i think we're mostly pretty good we we didn't play yes belsa galactica had a certain level of tension and social betrayal but it, it it didn't feel quite as bad as other games that because it was required of you you're per, you're turned into a cylon and then you yeah, have to your betray job you. is to betray yeah that's you're playing the game as so to be played but I'm versus just following some of these the rules grand, exactly some of these grand strategy games like the game of thrones board game or twilight yeah, imperium do it. um yeah. where you're all just kind of a free-for-all and you have to make soft spur-of-the-moment alliances and then turn your and stab your friend in the back like that that is it since it's not like a pre-scripted betrayal yeah can be a lot harsher and um i think that justin particularly doesn't enjoy those games as much oh, as man, I. yeah i can't do it <laughs> i mean playing with you guys i still enjoyed playing um the game of thrones strategy game whereas i played that here in seattle with like a meetup group and it was like the worst experience i lost <laughs> i lost in like 20 minutes just completely decimated and then i was like all right well i'm leaving <laughs> um, it's hard to play a game like that at a meetup group you really yeah, with random people you need no, to be with friends well frankly i i play games not because i want board games not because i want the challenge and want to prove myself that i can be able to win it's more that i want to have a good time for a couple hours yeah of, it's a social experience That's yeah the point and and so like if i lose but it was a it was a good game that was like that's the best possible scenario for yeah. a board game yeah. um and so I feel like everyone approached those games with that, and they would play into it. Whereas uh, that's not the case. I haven't found a group here in in Seattle that I actually like playing, so I haven't played board games, other than a couple, 
I've played a couple solo board games here, but I haven't. <laughs> You're really painting the saddest picture in the world, just. <laughs> <laughs> it is hard. I've been to a lot of board game meetups, and finding the right click for people that, you, so that really it works yeah. is really hard. It's not something to take lightly in terms of the difficulty of finding a good board game. Do you know, I'd never I even like... considered like doing that, like because I, I very rarely play board games because the kind of group of fans that I play with, we rarely get together. When we do, it tends to be quite intense like a few weekends ago we went and stayed at a, a house in the scottish islands and just played formula d pretty much all weekend wow uh, and, it, and it was amazing but but like I, I yeah it never even occurred to me that you just go and play with a bunch of random people that'd be slightly terrifying i think well you know i wouldn't recommend it so <laughs> <laughs> there you go it's a shame because like here in seattle like the board game shops are amazing like there's a couple of these that you know, they make all their money off of selling magic cards and they have this giant store and cafe and like place where you could rent literally or you just borrow every board game ever just for free. And just because they don't need the money off of selling board games. And there's so many people who play board games in Seattle. It's just amazing that I haven't found a particularly great uh, group that meshes as as easily as it did with the shanghai people someone should do like a, a sort of dating sim or you know, a dating app style you know put in your preferences and you get matched with a, a board game group i mean in, in fact yeah. i'm certain that must exist already now that I've said that maybe, maybe the trouble is it's hard to meet someone while playing a game that's true you yeah should meet, you should meet them doing something else and then play games with them later it doesn't work to do it at the same time i feel your like most of those off. people <laughs> i met through board games though the your friends and everybody like maybe we went to a pub once but other than that, it was through board games. A lot of the people that we played with were friends with Allison. Okay. Yeah, they were the that she and she never played board games. I introduced her to board games. <laughs> um, so it, it was a, it was all kind of roundabout, but we did get very lucky in Shanghai because there was a lot of people that didn't take the games that seriously. And were mostly out to just enjoy their evening. Yeah, yeah, well, that's good. That's the perfect crowd. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a brief aside to ask some relatively quick fire questions uh so we'll start with justin uh justin if you had to play a game with death uh for your own mortal soul uh what game are you best at <laughs> uh and i assume it's it has to be a competitive game if it's well for your soul it, it, it depends like if someone can be declared if you can sort of declare that you have won then i suppose that counts Gosh, I, 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 I don't know. But I'll say Overwatch because I've been playing that the most and it's sort of the accumulation of my first-person shooter in Team Fortress, 1,000 hours. You're putting Maybe a lot of pressure Overwatch. on your teammates thing. But <laughs> yeah, that's true. But like, if I'm, I'm matched with a set people that are the same thing, then probably something like Overwatch. Would... Okay. How about you, Matthew? I, it's a really hard question. I, I'm not really a, a single game enthusiast. I bounce between them so much that I never really get good enough at one game yeah. to, to, to want to risk my life on it. Um, Maybe Splunky I would be able to. <laughs> yeah, I think, you, I think you could do Splunky. I think that would be my choice for you, Justin. Yeah, <laughs> um, people now are doing so much better than me. But early on, I was, I was super good. But yeah, sorry. I, I, if there was a way to play a Battlestar, a Battlestar Galactica board game, from again, you're relying on your teammates, but I, I feel like I'm, I've gotten pretty good at manipulating the, the, the <laughs> table at this point that I could probably win it. That That's would good. be an intense Russian roulette sort of death game. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> uh, I'm into it. I'm into it. So we'll stick with you for the minute, Matthew. Um, 
like are you i mean we've kind of covered this a little bit already but like are you particularly competitive when it comes to games have you ever been locked in a frenzied high score battle or competition with someone um i think i used to be more competitive when i was younger i think most of us were more competitive when we're younger um i don't remember being locked in like video game um problems in terms of or shooting for that high score but i do lot lots of rage quitting with board games with family back in the day like <laughs> stupid stupid stuff like scrabble and just storming away from the board because because my mom gave my sister a word when she wasn't even playing. <laughs> and that, that, actually, that would that, be enough to just drive me storming out. <laughs> that is literally my next question, is like, what is your worst rage quit? So was there a particularly memorable occasion? Um, I definitely remember doing it one Thanksgiving with the extended family, with cousins and everything. <laughs> and, it was, and it was a case of somebody who wasn't playing giving somebody who was playing a word. <laughs> clearly not following the rules clearly not following the rules <laughs> um how about you then justin are you are you particularly competitive and what is your worst rage quit if you are prone to such things i'm very not competitive i am competitive against myself if it if there's ways to improve against myself but not against other people uh and i don't have strong rage quit memories other than stuff like just no longer enjoying a game and stopping playing it but it's not necessarily a rage quit scenario that's fair enough i i i, 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 I rage quit it. last night when i couldn't beat the final boss to chronos what what huh? did that what did i don't know what that game is and what's chronos it's a oculus rift game oh, okay how do you, yeah, how do you rage quit an oculus rift <laughs> It's like a Dark Souls light game. Um, the, it's a lot of fun, but the boss last night drove me nuts and that I had to walk away, and that doesn't happen to me very often nowadays. You're not tearing off the headset, though, and throwing it on the ground. This is the expensive yeah, No, good. no, no. I, I very carefully removed it and very angrily but carefully set it down. <laughs> and then <laughs> That's almost even worse. You're kind of quaking with anger as you slowly <laughs> place it down. Um, I'll, I'll stick with you for the second, uh, Matthew. Um have you ever kind of has there ever been a game that's kind of consumed your life to the point where you're like i need to uninstall this this is this is taken over oh like like all like i'm i'm, I'm killing my grades type of I've, yeah, I'm yeah. This game. i have no friends anymore i can't afford my <laughs> um nothing comes to mind i definitely i played a lot of world of warcraft but i don't think i was ever that bad um that's good. That's healthy. No, again, it's a, it's just it's more of a habit. I think games can I can put an unhealthy amount of time into games, but there's never just the one game again because I'm bouncing between them so much and like to play so many games that it's hard to blame one game for ruining it so much as I just went through a glut in six months of ruining it or something. That's that's that, that, that's fine. That's just you, you're making games. You need to. You I need, almost, you need to consume. I almost know? didn't. I almost didn't meet my um, current partner because. I was too into Dragon Age. Had I had I made a decision to stay home and play Dragon Age, my life would be very different right now. That's amazing. That's a that's a proper moral choice <laughs> presented to you in the meta game. Um, how about you then, Justin? Are you? Um, has there ever been a game that's kind of consumed your life? Sorry. Yeah, I think from a early age, I'd had a lot of experience playing a lot of you know hours in video games that I never. I uh, was relatively immune to just like completely losing myself and, and my priorities with video games. I mean, again, like, man, I, I put an exorbitant amount of hours into video games, but 
um, I generally try and find balance. I think my wife would not allow me to otherwise. <laughs> yes, There's a, a very appropriate influence, I think. Uh, a, good, <laughs> a good partner. Um, the last question in this little relatively quick fire section is, you know, given the the kind of range of emotions video games are able to, to evoke, one of the rarest is still um, like comedy. So, uh, Matthew, what games have really made you laugh? Oh, that's hard. It's really hard, right? Uh, that's why I ask it. I, I, Portal's the first game to come to mind. Mm-hmm. Which is probably a really boring answer, but no. there's a reason for it. There, there, it there are kind of good. seemingly very limited answers. You know, I've asked this to everyone, and that is a, a popular one, obviously. Yeah, it's comedy is really hard to do well. It's one of the like, writing is really hard to do well. It's why we bring on help to get writing, and comedy writing is double down on on difficulty. Um, it's just it's really impressive when you see it done right, but it is few and far between. How about you, Justin? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, I remember when I was a kid thinking Monkey Island and Monkey Island 2 were very funny. And like Sam and Max. Um, the Portal definitely I remember laughing out loud at. That's the only game I could think of offhand. I do derive enjoyment out of the sort of Japanese and Nintendo just nonsense silliness. Like even in Splatoon or something. Just this just the sheer number of puns that they throw at you is i find i find enjoyable if not laugh out loud amazing um well we'll go back to 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 the story then so you guys are working together in in uh 2k in shanghai like what if there is any particular single thing like what, what prompted you to both kind of go off and start your own studio well, I I quit 2K even without that intention, um, I, and I I went for a bike trip um, with my current partner. Um, me and her rode something like 2,500 miles across Southeast Asia across oh, half a year or so, um, and to just kind of get away from games and programming and all of it. Um, and it was upon my return that Justin and I where I, I was like, okay, I'm good to go to do something. I'm healthy and vitalized and, and ready to actually program. And and that was an FTL came from that moment. But that would be probably quite a different story to what Justin experienced and what drove him to it. Um, I think during that whole time at 2K, I was very creatively unfulfilled. Yeah. And... I every night I would go home and just design maybe with my brother or maybe by myself like random games and and write out all these documents and all this sort of stuff. And so it wasn't a big leap to be like, all right, let's just work from the ground up on something new. I think um, maybe from an earlier time period, I had higher hopes than Matt did for the potential prospect of the game. Granted, not you always nearly. have higher hopes than I do. I'm yeah, more simple. That's a, that's a st- standard, um, <laughs> standard thing, dynamic. But, but yeah, those. Um, I feel like the original impetus, from my perspective, was you not Matt not wanting to have to work on someone else's code and do something from the ground up, and then the game was just an excuse for that. I could be wrong, but that was kind of the feeling I got. It was there was an element of that for me for sure. And it was an element of um, 
having the funds and being in China, it being something we could do because China was cheap and because I had savings and um, because we knew each other and had the requisite skills of art and programming. Yeah. There's a certain amount of, well, we can do it. And so what can we do? Um, and then it's just kind of all those pieces that come together. It's not really, it's hard to ever point to one thing, you know? No, 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 no. So like, I, it, 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 it's just that I always find it like whenever I speak to people that have that have done this who've just like you know left a relatively stable job and like no let's let's give it a shot like it's it's amazing and but I I'm always like oh that must be a little bit terrifying. Like, I think the- it's important to note that I mean I guess I could be wrong in, in terms of Justin's perspective as he did say I was more cynical. Um, I didn't see it as us start starting a studio and making a game for as a financial venture. Um, for me, it was, I want to practice being a better programmer. I want to practice designing and working on my own stuff. Um, I want to probably make something that would work well as a portfolio piece for when I ultimately had to go back to a studio okay. and hopefully get a job that I liked more in a studio. It was never really, this is it. I'm quitting my jobs and dumping my life savings in order to make the game and make it rich. It's or, kind of like it, the, it was, an intellectual version of your bike rides where you're like, right, I need to really hmm. push myself here and see what I'm capable of kind of thing. Let, let's just do this, see how it goes. And then it was after after it went well but, and it turned into what it did that we ended up where we were. It, it wasn't a um, predetermined destination. But did you have like, was FTL like in your mind? Was that like when you're like, oh, this this could be really good. We should work on this. Or was it just like, okay, what do we do? And then you came up with it. We had an, we, it was something, we had a conversation about what types of games we liked, what type of design elements we liked in games. Um, Splunky came up a lot in that sort of conversation. Um, I think I made a list of five or six game design elements that I, I, I really liked and would really like to put into a game. And then we just kind of like, talked back what, and forth. For instance, in like of, what, what kind of, how would that have looked as a list? Like, I don't know, like turn-based or like how, how specific I mean, or vague would it be? I think a lot of it was basically why Splunky is great. <laughs> it's just stuff like um, the permadeath and the fact that death matters, and that was something that. Um, so when you when you failed, it it meant something, and but it but it didn't mean the end of the game. It just meant that you had learned and you could go do something else. Um, and I, I think resource balancing was a big one for me. The the you want everything, you can't have everything. You have to prioritize. The stuff that matters there's a there's a juggling act and then that's where if you die it matters all your decisions matter it all kind of came back to how many ways can we make the player care about their choices and have a lot of interesting choices i think that would what what the list would have boiled down to plus of course some setting stuff you know was there setting stuff on that list yeah there was from what i recall you know it, a lot of it boiled down to these sort of mechanical interests, but they were all framed around a specific setting for a game. Like, oh, yeah. um, you know, this FTLs was just like, you're Captain Picard, you have to manage all this stuff. Um, whereas some of the other ones, you know, were just a completely different s- setting, not necessarily world building, but just like scenario. Yeah, we generally, when we game design, we start from kind of like a feeling that we want the player to experience while playing the game. And okay. then we work backwards from there to be like, all right, what type of video game would allow the player to experience this? Like we didn't start with FTL being like, we have to make a permadeath game, but it was more like the feelings that we want to players to have would require permadeath as far as we could tell. Um, and so, so we generally work that direction. That's fascinating. Like, 
big because FTL is especially like when I think about FTL, it's one of those games that it is like a really good song or something. It, it has a kind of that sense of familiarity. You're like, oh, I know this, even though it's mm-hmm. you don't know it at all. It's a it's a completely new thing, but there's there's something about the kind of the way all the systems fit together feels very like oh okay like as you say maybe it is like just a combination of like feelings that you feel like you've had in a game that maybe you haven't you know in in that way when you go back and play old games thinking i remember how this felt and you're like oh no this isn't this isn't how i remember it you know you're kind of so you're making the game to replicate those feelings it's it's taking mechanics that create feelings and then mixing those mechanics together and then you do mix those feelings together i think that would be an accurate way of describing it i think with ftl specifically though like we're like what you're saying how it feels familiar that was like very intentional to be like yeah we have to world build because you know you have to make your own ip but we want to be it we want it to be as bland as possible we want it to be as like standard sci-fi as possible because we want to draw on all of the collective experiences and knowledge that people have watching hundreds of hours of star trek or whatever and so we like the feeling that we wanted to give players was very much maybe not something that they you know, that we personally felt in a video game, the feeling of like pure command over a spaceship, yeah. right? And so I feel like what we ended up drawing off of most uh, was other media forms. And then, so the game was basically, how do we how do we get that feeling across that you imagine from other media forms? And uh, the game design had, had to follow. Like, I, I think, for example, the original image of what would satisfy at least my perception of what we were going for with FTL, it could have been a completely different game. It could have been a game with no enemies that involved a lot of like food and morale and managing crew as problems occur during the ship and travel when with no theoretical enemy, for example, that would, that would fulfill in theory, the, what I, what I, pictured was the final end goal of ftl but it just so happened that the path that we were following we the game that ended up being most fun involved a lot of crew positioning manipulation and power management but that wasn't something that had to be in the game in my opinion it it wasn't something that had to be but it was definitely the design route that we preferred yeah um we weren't drawing like because the game we're describing where you're, you're managing morale and food and all, like that that's more of that the the large care like sim games almost like a sim city in space yeah. um which i think people have made space games like that and totally would be a legitimate awesome game to make um but i think we were drawing more from really discrete mechanics where you like the stuff you pull from board games or you can yeah. see the design every number has value there's not just this ambiguous morality that you're not sure exactly how it functions in the game but everything in ftl and it was a there there are design philosophies that we agreed with that we did kind of take that path while at the same time yeah with an end goal that we didn't really know how to get there and because i guess you were coming at it as almost like like a sabbatical like like an exercise like was there a specific point where you're like oh hang on this is this is actually quite good we could this might be something um, I think it was about six months down the line that it, and it, that it kind of came together into something that worked. Um, prior to that, I think anybody we showed it to thought we were nuts and didn't really see what we were saying, <laughs> which is what I was talking about before on that 
somehow, even though we had no idea what the game was, we were both very comfortable with not knowing because we both had an agreement on a general end goal, even if we couldn't describe what it was. Um, but other people couldn't see that when they saw the game. And when it crystallized into the, the form of FTL, you know, it was only six months down the line, which um, in hindsight was a very fast prototype. Um, but we, we knew that it clicked at that point. And we got lucky with stuff like um, China IGF was our very first affirmation from an outside source that yeah. didn't have any investment in terms of being a friend that agreed that it was something worth looking at. Yeah, it was, uh, I believe Adam Saltzman and Nathan Vela were there and they, they gave us just immeasurable feedback and you know, minor confidence in the idea, but just a, as a as a pure example of what you were saying before about um, our being blinded to the real perception of the video of the game itself. Because I remember very strongly, there we had all dots, just circles for the crew members, and I had to be convinced by my brother. He's like, no, it's important to make characters and people i'm like what's wrong with dots it's it's fine <laughs> like you totally can connect with dots as characters and it's easy to 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 reason your way out of doing the work because you can say oh the dots are like a computer screen it's abstract it's it's yeah. it's more immersive to have dots <laughs> and <laughs> the, the, but, he was but he was right correct. yeah he was yeah. right <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's that's amazing so so like how 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 did you feel then? Because I know the, the the Kickstarter ended up being like way kind of uh, overpaid. You did like just a small Kickstarter to kind of fund the end of it, but ended up getting what was it, like ten or twenty times as much. Like, was that exciting or was it a bit terrifying? Like, because you're kind of still working, at presumably, just like this is just a fun project. Who knows what'll happen with it? I found it terrifying. I I wanted to like somehow stop the Kickstarter from generating more money. <laughs> It was, it was too much pressure. It was too much stress. It was too much expectation. It was, um, we were just these guys in our PJs making a game um, from home and we didn't know what we were doing and we didn't really need $200,000 of pressure put on our shoulders. Do you know why um, like, I, it took off in the way that it did? Um, I think that it took off as with everything because of a thousand factors that come together in a way that you can't predict. Um, one way that you that I don't think gets enough mentioned in terms of just that wall blind luck you can end up with is that we launched our Kickstarter. I think it was a week after Double Fine launched their um, adventure game. Oh, okay, Kickstarter. yeah. Um, and so suddenly there were millions of people on the Kickstarter website looking at video games, which there weren't before, and we were just sitting there with a ready-made campaign that they would stumble across. Um, had Kickstarter not done, I mean, had Double Fine not had their Kickstarter, and we might have still found success, but the magnitude wouldn't have been the same just because there wouldn't have been enough eyeballs. That's amazing. Because it is one of those things, like I'm sure, like I, I don't make games myself at all. I'm just, I, I love them, but I know a lot of kind of uh, developers listen to the show and the idea that, you know, oh, you just put it on Kickstarter and then you get like, hundreds of thousands of dollars like obviously that's not the case it is always these little kind of bits of like like do you think this is maybe putting you on the spot a little bit but do you think ftl would have been as successful as it went on to become uh, to, if the kickstarter hadn't blown up in the way that it did if you just got your ten thousand and it, finished it's it? a great question because a lot of the marketing behind ftl relied on the kickstarter that was our tagline for any article that wrote about us said ftl or 
really kickstart a success story. Um, it, it was who we were as far as the press was concerned, and it was why we got coverage. Yeah, had we not got the gold, I mean, the, the multiplier that we did, um, who knows what would have happened in terms of um, coverage and, and, and if anyone would have cared. I, I certainly know the game wouldn't have been as high quality of the original launch um, just because of how pressured we felt to make the best experience and how much feedback we got from the beta testers. The game would would have been not as good. Um, That's for as well as our ability to like hire Tom Joubert, who who did yeah. a lot of the writing for the game, and the and game wouldn't building. have been the same without him. And the soundtrack wouldn't have been fifty percent of the quality, probably yeah. without being able yeah. to just throw money yeah. at them. I mean, obviously, um, that was it was helpful to get the money, though it is harder. It's not as simple as throw money at something and it gets better. Yeah. <laughs> I do think, though, that you know, in this hypothetical scenario. You know, FTL isn't something that we marketed. It entirely spread by word of mouth, basically, um, and people wanting to talk about it in the press because they were interested in it for whatever reason. And so I kind of get the feeling that it would have a, done well enough because we didn't expect the game to be popular or interesting people in general. We thought it was this super niche thing for like only masochists like us. And... <laughs> It turned out that there was a lot more people who, who at least bordered on that. And so I do feel like it would have somehow reached people gradually because that's what happened with FTL as it, as it is. It's just this sort of word of mouth. People acknowledge it as good and therefore want to try it. <laughs> but um, I, I can't imagine it would be anywhere near the numbers were it not for that, all this luck and timing. That's that was your it's, it's, your pessimism and optimism uh, in 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 full flow there. <laughs> your, both your answers <laughs> to that that was amazing. Um, but I mean, I, I definitely do think that it would have. Uh, it, the word of mouth is that's how I found out about it. Like I didn't know anything about the Kickstarter until um, I did some research like a few days ago, and it's just <laughs> I heard people talking about it, and I was like, that sounds like a really good game, and it's it's well, a really it good game, guys. It's really good. <laughs> Thank you. The the Kickstarter is like something like six or seven years old now, so it is ancient history as far oh, as most yeah, people. Oh yeah, it's a millennia ago in internet terms. <laughs> um, I'm going to kind of close up in a second, but I just wanted to talk about, I guess, uh, the past that we talked about when you were younger and any games that might have kind of had a, an impact on you. So just over the the past ten years or so, are there any games that kind of stick out to you as being uh, important for whatever reason? Um, so Matthew, let's start with you. Um, as I mentioned in the very beginning, the, the early CRPGs like the Fallout series and, and Planescape and Baldur's Gate were, were probably, even if today they weren't my favorite games, they are why I make games. They were what made me really love games as a kid. Um, and so I probably wouldn't have ended up in games without them. But is there anything um, which from is recently, though? From recent? Um, yeah, like the past 10 years or very so. past 10 years... Very recently, I, I thoroughly enjoyed Prey. Um, Prey was absolutely brilliant. It, it was because it kind of came back to those games in the 90s with Deus Ex and System <laughs> Shock that I grew up and fell in love with. That it, it, Bringing that again to the modern era was amazing for me, That I, I, and I appreciate people making games like that. Um, now, it is tricky, I, I think, when you get play... older, though, because because like finding new experiences is is ever harder, especially for people who are like... I've always been consumed by games. Like it's rare to find some 
new twist on something like like ftl is is a really good example i don't mean to keep banging on about it but it had that kind of sense of of like nostalgia almost but it was a totally new experience as well it was it was a really like intoxicating mix i think we live in a very lucky era that makes it very hard to answer especially in the last 10 years of what was a truly excellent absolutely yeah there's so many there are so many games coming out today that um if had to come out 20 years ago would have been on lists of the greatest games ever made, but they kind of get forgotten yeah, in, absolutely. The, in the deluge of, of brilliance that we've, we've got at the moment. How about you, Justin? Is there any games that kind of stick out in your, in your memory? I'm trying to think, like you said, like there's tons and tons of games that I enjoy very strongly, you know, but if I try and think games that have sort of shifted my perception of what games can be and sort of push things forwards a bit, I mean, we keep going back to it, but Splunky is the absolute biggest example of that, the original Splunky. Um, other than that, I feel like the most... I, I've been playing players unknown, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, and I feel like this is the first time that I've had another sort of relative shift in perception of games, because that was um, playing that recently. I mean, it's only been a couple months, so it's yeah. fresh in memory. But it's definitely probably going to be one of those long-term uh, shifts in in views. Not that I love the game so much, but it's definitely a different experience uh, from other games. Even though I've played a lot of those other games that like it is clearly taking, let's say, inspiration from, <laughs> but uh, it, do- it does a much better job of being a video game. And so I think it, that made it crystallize into um, the sort of experiential differences that came from playing with it. And uh, on a sort of similar tip, like, are you both uh, excited, that, uh, like, as excited about games as you were when you were younger? Are you still, uh, like, you know, looking forward to things coming out? I am as excited, but it, I, I have, I've got two kids now, and I don't have the time to hit them up <laughs> as much as I used to. On Justin's mention of, of, of his answer just then did remind me that I think one worth mentioning the last 10 years that kind of was a paradigm shift in some ways for me was just seeing um, Papers, Please. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, which, as far as being unique, that the marriage of like important themes and game mechanics and storytelling into such a perfect little package um, yeah. is just a step beyond what anybody else had done as far as that I had played and have yeah. yet to play. Um, it kind of, you know, FTL marriages theme and mechanics, but it doesn't have the weight behind it that Papers, yeah. Please does. Like it, it's on a whole nother level um, and, it, and it kind of shows you what, what people can do if they're really brilliant with the medium. Um, and so that was a big one for me, probably. And do you think, like, you know, w- with games like that, I, I guess, I've not really asked anyone this before, but do, do you think, y- you, you mentioned a lot, like, in terms of, like, inspirations, like, games you play, like, formative games, like, probably your first experience of uh, specific genres and stuff. Do you think, like, for instance, a Papers, Please can kind of burrow into your brain enough that you're like, I need to make a game like that? Or are you still trying to kind of build the games you wanted from your childhood if you know what i mean you know i'm probably still more influenced in my with my childhood than i should be um but i i, I love the idea that there are there are teenagers and kids playing papers please today yeah that will that find that same inspiration and, and what they'll come up with in 15 years time yeah i mean well, I, I, I think, do, yeah, so, no, sorry justin you carry on well just with papers please specifically to me it's uh 
more than like, oh, I was inspired the way I was when a kid, uh, when I was a kid playing Legend of Zelda or something. It's more that like, holy cow, so much. Like, I feel like I, I know more about the experience of certain people having played that game than yeah. I had would have reading or like news or anything just because of something that is super mundane and like standard in a lot of like historical situations, but it just is so compelling. So to me, more than what, like, I want to make a game like that, it's more that, holy cow, what can games be? Like, it could be anything. It could be exploring any topic and probably give you different experiences than than people can imagine. I think we're very limited by our definitions of what games are and yeah. our perception of what a player is and what he can do that, like, we're missing out on more things like that just taking some mundane topic and just making it the most interesting possible thing yeah and it does make me feel quite silly that we're still sitting around making um spaceship games and giant giant robot games which is um pretty pretty classical fare (laughs) but the thing is though like as you're saying that like i i fully agree like you know that the games like papers please really do kind of shine a light on like look at what games can can do look where they can be but also like that's a really hard sell like i'm sure there's a million kind of versions of a papers please style game over itch that people you just you wouldn't I mean, maybe i'm being cynical but i think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily just be be drawn to those because like do you want to play this game with like wizards and and space or do you want to play this game about <laughs> helping refugees cross the border and feel no, terrible it's, about it's, it's it like, it's like film or any other medium it is easier to pitch the next marvel course, movie than yeah. it is to um and I, yeah but I, I do think there's they should exist Oh, absolutely! Even if it also absolutely. doesn't reach people. Um, yeah, it's it's just important. I think that game is important, and I think there should be other important games, even if we're not the ones to make it. We're too entranced by mechanics. We just love mechanics so much that it. I feel like it would be hard for us to try and tap tackle a, a serious topic. Maybe we could, but I'm not sure. No, it's... that was what was great about Papers Please, though, is that it it, it you used mechanics to do something yeah, it absolutely. wasn't just yeah relying on images or other things it was actually using the mechanics to tell its story that's what was made it so unique um well I, I i think we've covered all sorts of good stuff but if there's anything that kind of uh, hasn't come up that you wanted to mention and if you want to tell people where they can find out more about your video games uh, please take this opportunity yeah um you can Find our website at subsetgames.com and our Twitter is subsetgames. Our new game coming out is, you know, when it's done, <laughs> is Into the Breach. And it's a, it's a like a tactical strategy um, mech versus giant monsters style game that, I don't know, I'm pretty excited about. I, even after working for years, I'm still actually enjoying playing it. So I'm really looking forward to putting it in the hands of people and getting their, their viewpoints on it. It's very exciting. Matt, have you got anything to add? No, I think Justin did a good job there. Perfect. Was that was that okay for you guys? Did you have a, a good time? No, it was great. Thank you. Cool. Yeah, it was very enjoyable. But were we acceptable for your needs? Ah, oh, you were fine. <laughs> no, no, you... <laughs>